Today on the pod, I got to interview one of my favorite coaches in the entire world, Amanda Scarborough. She is not only an all-American five-foot-five pitcher from Texas A&M, but she's also the co-founder of The Package Deal. You know those clinics that go on all over the country to help athletes become better defensively, offensively, and mentally? Yeah, that's The Package Deal, and she was a co-founder. What else does she do? She is an ESPN analyst. So when you're watching the Women's College World Series, you're going to hear her in the background calling the games. She is a legend in this game, and I am honored to be her friend. And now she's actually coming up with some courses that you guys can be a part of for pitchers. So in our conversation today, we talk about how even though she's five foot five, she was never told she had limits growing up. She was never told she couldn't do something. And that was probably the reason why she became an All-American. We even talked about how she spent her entire career not only pitching, but also hitting, and what are the advantages of having that as a pitcher. And we also talk about the importance of studying and researching the game and how to become great. Her and I share that experience. We grew up with our dads trying to learn how to become the best versions of ourselves, and that took some research. So that's just a very minimal amount of what we talk about on the podcast, but I am so excited for you guys to meet my great friend and pitching guru, Amanda Scarborough. Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart, owner of Ashley B Training, former D1 athlete and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well. But now I coach athletes and especially youth athletes. And I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, hey, I'm just gonna dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn from some of the greats, I'm gonna have some of the best softball players Some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are going to be on this podcast sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive. And that's why we're here. So welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep. And I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here. And I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us. Learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So whip out your notebook and let's head to the next episode. Hey everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the When the Cleats Come Off podcast. I'm here with one of my great friends in the game, Amanda Scarborough. Amanda, welcome to the conversation. 
Um, thanks for having me. And I love your catchy name of your podcast. So cute. So great. Seriously. Thanks. <laughs> I, I have to give a shout out to my sister. So my sister, Christina, is the one who came up with the podcast name. I probably had like 50 ideas for the podcast name originally. And like they whipped out that one and I was like sold. It's perfect. It's, it's so perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's fun. I mean, you think about like this, this podcast is for parents and, you know, coaches who are really dealing with athletes outside of the white lines. And it's important to, you know, have those conversations that are going to help her because those are the conversations that mean the most. So that, that was the whole inspiration behind it. I don't think I've even talked about it on the podcast. (laughs) I'm glad. Yeah. I'm I'm glad you brought it up. Me too, because it's such a great name. I'm sure people are like, wow, how'd she come up with that? (laughs) Thanks, girl. Thanks, girl. So just to let the audience know a little bit about you, I would love if you if if somebody doesn't know you on this planet in the game of softball, I don't know where they've been this entire (laughs) time. But can you just describe to people who you are, where you went to school, what you're up to now? Take the floor. Okay. So I was born in Houston, Texas. I'm a Texan. I ended up going to school at Texas A&M. I had a lot of highs and lows being a college athlete, but mine were more lows in terms of going through a bunch of injuries when I was at a and uh, But I also was an All-American there a couple of times, played in two Women's College World Series. I got a ton of really great awards and I just can't, like I look back and I still can't even believe that I had the success and I just feel so thankful whenever I think about it for my parents and then all the coaches, not that this needs to be some kind of a thank you speech or something, but truly like mm-hmm. when I think back to those years, I, it's, that's what comes to mind. And so after I got done playing, I coached at A&M for a couple of years and decided that college coaching wasn't for me. I just wanted to be a pitching coach and really focus on pitching. Although I, I hit, I played first base, I was in the everyday lineup, I pitched, I did all the things. I really realized that pitching was where my heart was at and that I didn't really want to be on the, the college schedule anymore uh, as I, everything had been so structured my entire life of go here, do that, practice now, extra reps here, either as a player, as a coach that I just wanted to do my own thing. So I started to give lessons and do pitching clinics in Houston and just decided to kind of start something online. So I, I started a Facebook page like back in 2010, which Facebook at that point wasn't really that big. I mean, it was kind of big, but I wanted mm-hmm. a place to connect with not just pitchers and players from Houston and from Texas, I wanted somewhere where I could go to connect with people from all over the country and all over the world because online is incredible. And so being on the internet and being able to post and comment and communicate and message people from all over the country and the world, that's really what inspired me. I wanted to help as many people as I could to put out information, knowledge, inspiration uh, for people who needed it for free, really. I just wanted to be able to connect. So um, anyway, uh, I did that for a while just on my own, then joined up and linked up with the package deal. Uh, We did that, we started that in 2015 which we do clinics all over the country. Myself, Jen Schroeder, Morgan Stewart, and Katie Schroeder were the founders of it. And we've done that for several years. And then the other thing, Ash, that you know that I do, sorry, I do a lot. Uh, If somebody (laughs) asked on an airplane, like, what do you do? You know, like when you sit next to somebody, what (laughs) do you do? I literally say anything with softball, like anything (laughs) with softball. And then I also work for ESPN. So that started the year after I got done playing, which was in 2009. Uh, I called my first games and now I called the Women's College World Series. And I have for five years, this year should have been the sixth year, but we all know what happened this year. Mm -hmm. So yeah, everything pitching, uh, clinic related, and then now ESPN related. 
Yeah. So what was it like? I mean, first Women's College World Series, you couldn't call because of COVID. What was that like trying to trying to not have that? I think just trying to stay busy, trying to stay occupied. I think at first when everything hit back in March, I think, I think yeah, it was March. Everybody still had hopes of like, okay, well, you know, maybe we'll be able to get into postseason in May or maybe, you know, we can push it back a little bit and it'll be in June. So like Arius Pan Clan just still, and I feel like everybody in the world was like this, right? Like you had hope at first that like, okay, it's only going to last a week. Okay. It's only going to last two weeks. Okay. We can get through this. And then before you knew it, everything was canceled. So it was literally like stringing hope together every day and every week. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, this isn't really going to happen. Like, yeah. like this is for sure done until next year. So just trying to stay busy um, and, and come up with other things that usually might, usually March, April, and May are crazy busy for me because of the mm-hmm. season, but it's been nice not to travel actually. Yeah. Well, you definitely have been staying busy. So those people that follow you would know that you've come out with so many amazing courses. You launched Pitching Angel. You have all of these things that you're up to right now. But before we get into that, I want to dive deep into the story of you getting to Texas A&M because I know there's a lot of pitching families out there that are trying to you know, find that college scholarship or just become a better pitcher. And you've definitely sh- like shared so much on, on on social media, on your platforms, inside your courses about how they can get better at that. But can you take us along the journey of you first starting to pitch to, you know, what were your routines like when you got into your teens and then high school and things like that so you could eventually become an Aggie? Yeah, I think the interesting thing about my journey, specifically as a pitcher, because like I said, I literally hit my entire career. I was like leadoff mm-hmm. hitter for a little bit in travel ball and like played third base and outfield and um, other positions. But when it really comes to pitching, I feel like I have experienced a little bit of everything. I have been the worst pitcher on the team. I've got to high school and I had a girl who was older than me for two years who pitched in front of me and I had to be the number two pitcher and then she left and I became the number one. And so I've been through a lot of different experiences, which whenever I was in the middle of it, I truly didn't even think about it. But I love that I got to experience all those different roles and all those different parts because I truly think that it has made me the coach that I am today and have the ability to articulate different feelings, emotions, uh, situations that parents and pitchers are going through as pitchers at any stage of their career. So when I first started, you know, my dad volunteered me. We didn't have a pitcher on the team and he was like, Amanda, we'll do it. I'm like, okay, whatever. Like I'll give it a try. <laughs> uh, and this was before Ash, you know, when there was nothing on YouTube there, I mean, there was no YouTube. There right. were no free online videos. So my dad just did the best that he could for about a year just to try it out to see if I would like it. And this is for, you know, league ball down the street for me. And I was the pitcher, got hammered, walked a ton of people, but I loved it. And so after a year, my dad was like, all right, we got to try to find to get her some lessons. And so we went to my first ever pitching coach and, and he was still like an hour away. I'm, I'm not trying to get too much into the weeds here, but like, no, I love it. It's just all about especially at the beginning, finding that passion, something that you loved. And my parents were able Mm -hmm. to literally chauffeur me one hour to go to lessons there, one hour back in Houston against traffic. So I give them just so much credit for from the very beginning, not when I was in high school, not when I got serious, but from the very beginning, dedicating to a passion that I had and trying to do anything that they possibly could in their power to give me a chance to be successful at it. So 
still growing up, I was the worst one. Even when I started lessons, I was like the number four, number five, only pitched Ashley against like the really good teams because I pitched so slow. So I would pitch against the really, (laughs) really good teams because they were so far out in front of me. And then after one time through the lineup, I'd get taken out, but still like I was, I had a different type of role then. Right. Um, Continue just to learn to love it. I, I ended up working my way probably in like middle school to like the number two, number three type pitcher. And then I felt like where I really started to take off was I would say eighth grade through the beginning of high school. Uh, that's mm. when I feel like all the lessons started to pay off that my parents had put me through all the hard work of getting, building a really solid foundation, not necessarily always seeing the results that I wanted to see right away in terms of getting to pitch the championship game or getting the big game or, or being the pitcher that had the best ERA, like just not really getting getting chances, you know, but we just stuck with it. My parents supported me and made sure that I had great coaching and make sure that I put in the work to when I got to high school. Um, that's when I was really blossoming. That's when I really started to hit my peak and then got recruited to go to A&M and uh, sophomore year. Wow. I'm so glad you share that story, especially of how things started to click for you in eighth grade. I think there's so many athletes out there that are like, I have to be perfect by the time I'm in sixth grade. I have to, I have to have everything established as early as possible. And, you know, like you, I did not feel like I was actually turning good at this game until eighth grade, freshman year, like, and into there. And so those people and those parents that have this pressure of, Hey, I have to be really good at a young age. You really don't. You have to, you know, use every year as an experience as how can I get better this next year and then this next year? Cause that's, that's, you got to start with a strong foundation and just build upon that. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. And I want to also mention something as well. You are not the tallest pitcher Mm -hmm. in the world either. How tall are you? Five, five. Yeah. Five, five. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, a lot of athletes that I've worked with in the past, they're, you know, not going to be tall. I mean, their parents aren't tall and they're like, well, maybe pitching isn't for me. And I'm sitting out there throwing your name (laughs) into, into their ear right away. I'm like, okay, guys, an all American was five, five and multiple all Americans have been, you know, not the super tall Kat Ostermans or Monica Abbott's and they have been phenomenal at what they do. So with that, obviously your strengths are probably different than most pitchers in regards to things like that. So when you knew you were not going to be the tallest, but you still had to find your edge, that thing that was going to separate you from the rest, what do you think that thing was for you? Well, you know what I'm just so thankful for is that nobody ever told me that I wasn't tall enough, you know? Mm. And so I think because of online and maybe seeing uh, more college games on TV, you see all of these really tall pitchers and there are a lot of really tall pitchers. And does it help ideally, you know, the, what do you think of odds and probability to be taller? Yeah. I mean, you have longer levers, your arms are longer, your hands are bigger, your legs are longer, your feet are bigger. So you could push harder, like just the odds of how the body is built. But the thing that helped me and my parents never talked about my height, like nobody ever pointed it out to me to where that is such a bigger thing now than when Mm -hmm. I was growing up that it, it doesn't even feel like something I had to overcome. So when you think about that, just in the flip side, instead of making it a big deal, instead of harping on it, instead of thinking about it, just let somebody do what they're passionate about. Let somebody do what they they really, really want to do. And they're going to be great at it, no matter if they're six foot two or they're, they're five foot three, they'll end up having success in life and be where they need to be down the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have to throw this out there too. You 
basically started your pitching journey the same time I did. And I did not become a pitcher in college at all, but I literally played for a team where nobody could pitch. And I think this was like seventh grade, to be honest, sixth or seventh grade. And my dad goes, well, do you want to win? And I'm like, yeah, I want to win. And he goes, well, you probably should start learning how to pitch then. And I said, (laughs) all right, dad, how are we going to do it? And at that time, I do not want to age you, but there were a couple videos out there, you know, talking about, you know, holding the Coke can out in front, doing the pizza, like (laughs) the most simple, like ridiculous things that I'm, I'm sure some of those things are relevant, but most of them were just fluff and not even relevant to pitching at all. But my dad and I would study YouTube, I swear for like five hours a week. And we would just be like, okay, this pitcher, and who knows, maybe one of your videos of you pitching, like was something that I was watching, who knows, but we would study pitchers. We'd learn, okay, what is, what did that pitcher do different than this one? What's her strength? What types of pitches is she throwing? Wow. How does she throw that change up? Just, just being eager to learn how to figure it out. And you and I were talking before we started recording how we're still listening to podcasts and reading books and and learning ways to where we can become better coaches. But I feel like that's like, we are, we share that quality because of us trying to figure out how we could be good when we were young and, you know, using the internet um, to our benefit to be able to learn how to do that. Shout out to all the people who are creating YouTube videos. I know you have tons. Mm -hmm. And since we've talked about YouTube and I know there's pictures out there that are like, I want to learn from Amanda and I'm, we are going to talk about this at the end, but you might as well talk about it now. What's your YouTube handle? Cause I know you have so many gems on YouTube right now. Oh, Ashley, you're putting me on the spot because I'm, I didn't even know, honestly, I didn't even know there was a YouTube handle. I just like upload these videos to my YouTube page, but oh, yeah. I do well, have if a, you just type in your name. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I know my Instagram handle, Twitter, like Facebook. Yeah. I truly didn't even know there is a YouTube handle, but uh, yeah, just type in my name. Other videos will come up that other people have posted, but then I think somewhere you can kind of like dig deep and see my actual page too. <laughs> They'll upload a video probably yeah. about every week. <laughs> I was going to say, I think there are some hitting videos as well, if I remember correctly. And they get like, it has like over a million views. It's about um, a hitter's routine, like walking into the box. Like people, like people love that stuff because they're just Mm -hmm. searching for information. YouTube is such a great place to share knowledge on. And gosh, I'm just so happy that I made those videos so long ago that are able to help so many. It's so cool. Yeah. That's what I've learned about YouTube. It's like, the first week you put it out, you might get maybe like a hundred views, but then the longer the video's out, the more so chances true. people can watch it and then watch it again or send it to their friends. So, I mean, it's pretty cool to see YouTube videos just like go crazy. But one thing that you talked about earlier that I really want to, I really want to touch on is the fact that you were a hitting pitcher your entire career, mm-hmm. you were a hitting pitcher. And I know there are eight-year-olds right now being told that they can't hit because they, they're being told that they need to just pitch and focus on that. Can you kind of speak on that? And what are your thoughts behind that? Gosh, that makes me so mad. Like why all of a sudden in the past 15 to 20 years, do we have all of these limitations that other people put on us or that our parents put on the players? Like I just, and and coaches alike, I just don't get it because I just, I just don't understand it. It frustrates me so, so, so much because it gives, being a hitting pitcher gives you so many opportunities. You are a diamond in the rough to a college coach. If you're wanting to get recruited, you are, if you were a stock, you would be one of the most valuable stocks to have. You're, Mm -hmm. you're just worth so much. Like if, if, 
if uh, softball players got paid tens of millions of dollars, like an NFL player, you would be almost up there with like a Patrick Mahomes type contract or just pick one of the, the better like pitchers in MLB because you can, I always took hitting lessons. I always paired my pitching lessons with my hitting lessons together. We did them on the same day. I always made time for both. I always proved myself that I could be in the lineup. And I think that to me, that's what it comes down to is as a coach, if I was making a lineup, if I'm a coach and I have a team, no matter how old they are, I want the best hitters in the lineup. Like that's who I'm going to consider because I want to score the most runs. So if you're a coach, give somebody a chance to prove that they could be in the lineup. And if they don't, then you have factual information like, okay, well, you're 0 for 10 with runners in scoring position. So this is why I'm just having you pitch. I'm not putting you in the lineup. But if you're 0 for 0 because you've got no opportunities, then that's a tougher sell. And I think that you should be on a team and in a place where you get to prove yourself both ways. If it's something that you're really dedicated to, hitting. If it's something that you're truly putting in the hard work, want the opportunities and think that you can come through for your team and are just as passionate about it. Because I know I was for the longest time. I was a better hitter than I was pitcher. And then somewhere along the way, they just kind of meshed together and I can't even pick out which one I was the better of the two, but like that, I just love to do it. So I just continue to try to find a way. Yeah, that's, I love that. And, and what I want listeners to understand too, it's, it not only helps you like with your stock. I love that you mentioned that I've never heard it being like said that way. And I I love that you said that. But it also, I mean, when it comes down to it, lineup cards in college, you're seeing pitchers being thrown in the lineup and even in the MLB, because it actually just helps the lineup itself. You're having pitchers that don't have a whole lot of at-bats still hitting in the lineup in the MLB. So clearly it's going to help the team in the long run to be able to have both of those. So you mentioned that you got pitching lessons when you were younger. Did you also get hitting lessons or how did that work? Because I know parents are like, wait, I have to pay for lessons for both of these things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I did both pretty much my whole life. I think um, it may have ended up coming down to, I feel like when I got into like late in middle school and then high school, I went every other week for hitting lessons and every week for pitching lessons just to kind of spread the, the financial burden on it a little bit. And also just I mean, pitching just hitting super intricate, but pitching is even more intricate, like especially needing a coach constantly to be there mentally for a pitcher that is an expert that you can believe in and trust with your pitching coach. So we always kept really consistent with pitching lessons and hitting lessons would be at first every week. uh, And then it ended up being every other week, but there's so many benefits too, because the body works really similarly. Um, as a hitter, you are, it was my getaway almost as a pitcher in a game to be able to, to put aside what I had done in the circle and then put my helmet on, grab my batting gloves and grab my bat and just be able to focus on something different to where Mm. I wasn't so dwelling on, Oh my gosh, I gave up a hit. Oh my gosh. I walked in a run. Oh my gosh. I gave up a home run sitting there in the dugout thinking about it. I, it truly helps you separate both things to where you don't put as much pressure on yourself and dwell on mistakes that you've made just on one over and over and over again in your head. It's like a little mental break almost, you know, in yeah. the game, which is crazy to think, but it, it truly is a mental break. Totally. And I always think about, you know, how hard our sport is compared to others simply because of that break. So a lot of times basketball, it's easy to get over a mistake because you don't have time to think about it. Mm-hmm. You literally, you throw a bad pass on defense Oh, or on offense? Well, you have to go back on defense and go help your team in that way. So I'm really glad you mentioned that because I think a lot of pitchers, 
they put so much pressure on themselves. And it sounds like if you're not hitting or you don't have another aspect of the game that you can help your team, sometimes you use that time to just give yourself negative self-talk, you know, talk about all the bad things that happen and, you know, things can just start piling up. So it sounds like it was huge for you to be able to help your team on both sides of the ball in that way. Yeah, well, I was thinking, Ash, sitting here, like, would you ever tell, like a shortstop is really important on defense, just like a pitcher and a catcher. I mean, you could go through all the positions. Would you ever tell those people, don't hit, just, just focus on being a shortstop? Like, why is it that, and pitching's really important, but why is it that pitchers can't do both, but everybody else can, is never told that. Like, I just, Mm -hmm. I don't understand it. And as far too, as like having extra time to think about it, it's almost like when there's a kid who's not involved in anything and they have all this extra time and they end up getting themselves into trouble, right? Like it's better to stay busy. It's better just to keep doing things. So same thing in the dugout, like not sitting there and dwelling on all your thoughts, but finding ways to stay busy, finding ways to stay active so that you're not getting your mind into trouble as if, you know, it's a kid who's getting themselves into trouble, like, (laughs) uh, like on the streets or somewhere. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is why I love, I mean, there's so many places I want to go with this conversation, but truly you being a pitching coach and an instructor and someone who, you know, didn't even realize that this was going to be their passion the rest of their life, but somebody tried it out and made it, made it, made your coaching style based on what experiences you had as a pitcher and a hitter. It makes you such a great coach, not just physically, but mentally. And I can attest the package deal to my, you know, looking at my coaching as, hey, I'm not just there to help you with your swing. Mm-hmm. Like, and and you're not there just to help them with their pitching. You are here, yes, to help them with their mechanics, to do all the things that most people are searching for. But if you don't have that confidence behind the pitch, you're not going to thrive on the mound. And and that's something that the package deal really helped me discover when I was helping you guys coach um, for, I think it was like two years I was with you or maybe three. But it's, can you speak on the level of, you know, it's not just about the physical stuff. It's about pairing that with the mental aspect as well. Well, that's the number one question that I'm sure you get asked and that I get asked is how can my daughter be more confident? How can I be more confident? How can my players grow their confidence? And I think so many adults and parents and coaches are looking for a drill or an exercise to do it. And nobody really wants to put in the work to build the character, to build the X's and O's of pitching, hitting, fielding a ball. And that's when it really, it takes extra, right? Like you're not just teaching them how to swing, how to pitch, but it takes extra investment into the athlete, extra listening, extra communication, extra belief in them, extra showing them that you're their number one fan, extra trying to find ways to get through to them as they're all different. And so when I think it's just not a quick answer, and I I hate that I can't give these people a quick answer for how can my daughter get more confident? Because it's an everyday thing, every day, Mm -hmm. every interaction on and off the field. It's not just one thing. It's not just one, Hey, have her answer this question and she'll be more confident. Hey, just have her do this one quick thing and she'll be more confident. And Ash, nobody wants to put in the work. That's what I've noticed. If I were to do a course on how to gain confidence versus how to throw 70 miles an hour, way more people would take the, how to throw 70 miles an hour one, even though way more people probably ask about the confidence thing because they want the quick answers. They want the results, but the results come from the confidence, but nobody is willing to put in the work. 
You're so right. Nobody is willing to put in the work. They want the quick answer and there isn't a quick answer. And then they just get stuck and then confidence isn't grown. Absolutely. And so in the middle of COVID, while you were busy coming up with your courses that we'll talk about here in a second, I was also coming up with, you know, it's a time where a lot of athletes don't have the sport to rely on to build that confidence muscle. And so I literally built like the $7, like super cheap 14 day. You're going to have more confidence by the time you finish this. And people were like, Ooh, I'll sign up for this. This sounds really intriguing. And then, you know, being the course creator, you can see, and you and I use the same platform. You can see who's actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And who's doing the 30 minute exercise every single day, you know, to develop the physical and mental mm-hmm. strength. And I can tell you just a fraction of people actually completed the entire thing. It's so disappointing. They'll, they'll buy the yeah. course, but they won't follow through with it. They want it, yeah. but they won't follow through with it. And I don't know yeah. where that disconnect is. And I, I truly search and search to find it. And, and I, and that's why too, I try to build confidence through my coaching. Like I'm trying to find like a different way around it, right? Like if you're not just going to listen to like this cliche confidence quote or this cliche like confidence thing and 14 day confidence builder, whatever it is, they, they would work, but they're not listening to it. So I try to find mm-hmm. it through my coaching, through drills, through um, self-responsibility, through discovery of oneself. Like there are different ways within coaching itself that are just, again, it's not a quick fix. It's not a quick drill. It's not a quick exercise. It takes time to massage and build into a player over time. So true. So true. And I love that because I'm sure inside your courses, which I mean, I've never seen them, but I know you as a coach anyway. So I have a good idea that you're giving them specific workouts to do that. If they do it, they're going to start feeling their snap is much better. Their velocity is going up. I mean, they're gaining strength in their lower half and they're seeing those results. So if we could for a little bit, let's talk about the foundations of pitching. Cause I know some people are going to be like, okay, Amanda knows so much. I want to, I want to learn as much as I can from her. Well, they're going to have to buy your course if that's going to be <laughs> all the things, but if we can just dabble into pitching and the foundations and just some of the things that you love to talk about and can probably do in your sleep, <laughs> what do you think are the core foundations of a great pitcher? Really great question. So, um, mechanics and technique. So like I think of technique as what each individual player, their own type of style per se, like their own type of form that spin on it that they can put. But the mechanics of it in terms of drag, launch position, glove hand, getting open, uh, stride, like there are definitely six to seven essential mechanics that you have to have to build a strong foundation and knowing where all those things need to be. And then I think that the third is body awareness. I think that body awareness is an essential pillar of foundation that not many people talk about. But if you can build mechanics, have great body awareness of your mechanics, and also feel like you have the confidence to put your own spin on things, your own style, your own feel, then that's when you're going to to build the strongest foundation and feel the most confident in order to be more accurate and then essentially gain velocity down the road. Yeah. Do you think pitchers should have a certain start or load or should they, like you said, kind of just figure out what works best for them? Yeah. So I think that they should figure out what works best for them in terms of what it looks like. But then when you move after your load into a launch position, so essentially kind of like that sprinter start as a pitcher starts to move forward on the pitching rubber, then that should look really similar with 
a lean and a bend in your front knee and your right heel if you're right-handed pitcher rising and and like truly like a sprinter like if sprinters are most explosive people in the olympics 100 meter dash like we want to look like them we want to emulate them for that push off for that explosiveness so how you get there how it looks to get there can vary that's the that's just the the kind of tech, like the style form that everybody can put on it but the actual launch position itself should look very similar to a sprinter that's so good and it's funny cuz i I'm obsessed with base running. And so when you think about, you know, mm-hmm. when you come off the bag, you need to be in, in a sprinter's position. I mean, and that's where, I mean, I always bring up Usain Bolt, the fastest man alive. Like his first step is so explosive and it's so similar to a sprint, like when you're stealing a base mm-hmm. or even your first step out of the box. And especially as a pitcher, when you're trying to take all of your power up the middle, like right to, you know, where you're trying to throw. So I think that's like one of the first things that if I, I mean, I'm not a pitching coach, but I think when I figured out that and my shin angle and making sure that I'm launching forward instead of up um, right away for me, like that's what helped me the most. So actually I'm going to talk about this because I just talked to Haley Wagner. I interviewed her last week and she was talking about how she and Kat Osterman were having a conversation during the Athletes Unlimited League about, you know, what is your first, what is your first thought? Like, are you going out or are you going up first? And I, hopefully I don't get this wrong, but I think Haley said she's focusing on going out and Kat is always focusing on coming up and then out. So Haley was like, well, it's probably because like, it makes sense why I throw faster because I'm getting the power from the very start and why Kat's able to move her ball so well is because she's actually um, thinking about coming up and then out, out of her legs. I'm sure you could explain this a million times better than me. No, that so, you did a great job. That is really, really good, Ash, what you just said. I was following <laughs> you completely, for real, yeah. I'm glad you were, but I'm sure there are some people out there like that are saying, what what's the difference between out and up? And could you just dive into kind of what I was saying, but like maybe in a way that more people could understand. <laughs> well, I wish that I knew how tall Haley was, but I know for sure how tall Haley is, but I know yeah. for sure that Haley is not as tall as Cat. Right. So, it goes again to having longer levers and kind of being able to get away with a little bit more if you're taller. Um and that Cat used more of like her up and down height, like she had a great rise ball, a great drop ball, also a great curveball, but like her north and south movement is really good and so when you think about like her long levers and going like going more up with her push so she's able to create like a bend up and down this way and Haley being a little bit closer to the ground so she's trying to stay closer to the ground to generate an energy by going more forward and not so much up like she's trying to keep that energy close to the ground and use it as much as she can to stay strong and cat i just think it has to do with like they're completely different different build. Um, Kat's arms are longer. Kat's legs are longer. Her fingers, I'm sure, are longer. I wish I knew how tall Haley was. She's not extremely tall. I mean, I don't know. I feel like she's about 5'10 or something. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, and you think about their, like, Haley is very strong. Like, Kat is more tall, lean. So, it just, all pitchers are built differently and you find truly, like, what works best for you and your build. There's not a one-size-fits-all approach. It's a great example. 
I'm so glad you mentioned that. And you can tell it and probably describe it a million times better than me. No, um, you did it great. <laughs> Sometimes it's easier to like break it down in like a more simplified, like I can try to make it too hard because I'm too close to it. You're like mm-hmm. looking at it from the outside in. And so you end up explaining it better because it's like simplified approach to explaining it is great. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> I'm blushing over here. By the way, those of you listening to the podcast and while Amanda was describing up and out and pointing in directions, if you go to YouTube, you can actually watch the hand gestures and kind of get a little more sense of, you know, what we we're kind of describing there. So if you feel lost on the podcast, go to YouTube and you can watch this. Yeah, good idea. Um, <laughs> Hey y'all, one of the questions that people ask me all the time, and these are parents asking me, how can my daughter gain more confidence? Well, this was asked to me at the very beginning of COVID, and I knew it was a time where athletes were struggling with their mental game. So when it comes to being confident, it really comes down to a few things. It comes down to believing in all the things and all the training that you've put into yourself and truly believing that you are worthy of making those things happen. And I am sharing some of these tips with you guys inside of the $7 Goal Smasher course. So I believe that confidence comes with having a goal and finding and seeing progress towards it. So inside the $7 Goal Smasher course, basically are 14 days worth of 30 minute exercises, which last time I checked, a lot of kids are on their phones for 30 minutes or more a day. So I feel like this could be 30 minutes well spent, especially because they're gonna see progress in themselves and their belief system. So there are 30 minute prompts from doing a check of what are the things that your athlete is great at. Sometimes athletes that suffer with confidence issues, they forget what they're great at and they only think about the things that they're not. So there's multiple exercises to work on that. There's also some exercises to simply talk and express their feelings with their parents. This is also something that's not easy for athletes to do, but when it happens, the magic happens. I swear, I cannot tell you how many people have reached out to me telling me, wow, that was powerful. I'm so glad my athlete could do that. You can just tell she got stronger today. So if your athlete needs a little boost of confidence and has 30 minutes a day for the next 14 days, I want you to head to www.ashleybtraining.com and sign up for the $7 course. It's under the train with me tab. I cannot wait to meet your athlete virtually because she's taken this program. And honestly too, I know we've talked about the Smash Tribe membership before, but Smash Tribe members get automatic access to the $7 course as well. So that's an extra perk inside the membership that you guys will have access to as well. So www.ashleybtraining.com, click on the train with me tab and let's get started on our mental skills today. With that, let's head to the rest of today's episode. I want to talk about movement pitches here for a second because I know um, I've met a couple really young pitchers that are like, I have six pitches right now. And I'm saying, okay, well, how's good? How, how good is your fastball? And they're like, oh, it's okay. Um, and I know you always teach, you want to really get that fastball down and be able to command that before really moving on to other pitches. So can you describe maybe your journey on, because this is probably how you teach, your journey of you know getting some pitches down before jumping into others? And how would you advise, let's say, a 10-year-old athlete who wants to become a great pitcher? How should she kind of go about that journey? Well, and, and two, like getting your fastball down isn't some type of punishment. You know, like I think that like, <laughs> 
parents get so anxious to learn new pitches. They want something new and especially pitchers too, because they just are on to the next thing. Like we have everything at our disposal, apps, everything you can get it now, get it as fast as you can. And pitching is still pretty old school. Like you still have to work at it. You don't have an app that can flip the switch to make you a great pitcher. And so I think like society is telling us one thing, but the actual actions of pitching tells you a completely different thing because pitching's freaking hard. But why being able to what I call like master your fastball in practice. And most importantly, honestly, in a game is so important because not only does it show that your foundation is strong and you're repeating the same motion over and over and over again, which is what a pitcher has to do to stay consistent. It tells you that your mind is consistent too. And if your mind isn't caught up to your mechanics So say, you know, in practice, I can throw eight out of 10 to a spot, but in games, I'm only four out of 10. Well, your your mind's not caught up yet. So in a game, if you can't do it, then why would you go and learn a new pitch? Your mind's not ready for it. Maybe your Mm. mechanics are, but mind and mechanics have to meet up. Mind and foundation have to meet up to make the strongest pitcher, to make the strongest foundation. And that's where I think a lot of people get ahead. They're like, oh, well, I'm doing great at practice and in games, I'm okay at it. Well, why do we pitch? We pitch so we can win, get outs. Like that, that's our whole purpose. Like we don't practice just so we can practice to learn a new pitch and then not take it into a game and not have success. So think about the end game. You're wanting to be great in the games. You're wanting to be consistent in the games. You're wanting to bring it to the game to win because we all are athletes. We love to win and do great. So that's just a little bit of a soapbox, but I think it's super important because that's the whole reason not to get ahead of yourself with learning all these different pitches and why mastery doesn't just come at practice, but it also comes through with like proving yourself at a, in a game that you can do it. And not just one game, Ash, but I encourage people to look at their strike percentage. That's the biggest thing I want them to look at from three to four weekends in a row because I can have a great weekend and then the next weekend I'm down. But it looks like, oh, I can learn a new pitch because I had one great weekend. No, get your strike percentage for 10, 20, 30 games, and then say, okay, am I showing consistency? Is it time for me to learn a new pitch? Am I ready to take it on? Um, So just doing it in that gradual process, being able to locate your fastball, and most importantly, throw strikes in games. I mean, bottom line, that's what we have to do. If we're not throwing strikes in a game, then we're not really a pitcher. We're just walking everybody Mm -hmm. and giving up runs. So um, for a 10-year-old, master your fastball, then go to uh, a change-up, being able to change speeds. And the order that I kind of like after that uh, is drop, rise, curve, screw. Um, and, and I like it that order because drop and rise are so popular right now in the college game. It's kind of a theme of being able to, we just talked about it before, but go north and south instead of staying on the hitter's plane with a curveball and a screwball. Um, so if you can, I mean, the, the, a rise ball and a drop ball are great pitches to add to your arsenal, but over time, take your time with it um, and and don't rush. I mean, there's just no point of having six pitches. There's no point, absolutely zero point, zero point. At that that age, at that age. Yeah. So how important is it to get ahead early as a pitcher? Oh, it's everything. Talk about confidence. Like there are a zillion different ways to have, to build confidence, right? One of the ways in game first, first pitch strike, 
if not the first pitch, then the second pitch, but finding a way to get ahead and working on that in practice too, understanding the difference between a pitch that I need to put more on the plate versus more off the plate and when you can do that. And all of that comes from fastball mechanics. All of that comes from fastball mechanics. If you don't have good fastball mechanics at a young age, then you're only limiting yourself, Ash, for later when you want to learn rise ball, curveball, all those pitches, because it's going to be harder for you to learn them because your foundation isn't very strong. But if you have a great, solid foundation for your fastball and you don't rush, you're mentally going to be more confident and your mechanics are going to be more confident where it will actually be easier for you to learn those pitches later on because you're more secure with everything you have going on within your pitch. Absolutely. What was your punch out pitch? Did you have one? Uh, Drop. Yeah. Yeah. That was your favorite? Yeah. Which, I, mm-hmm. go ahead. Go well, ahead. I didn't end up learning a great drop ball until like my junior, my, uh, my junior year. Uh, and it was a, a different speaker. I had a drop ball that was okay. But when I think about my favorite pitch, which is weird, right? Because my favorite pitch, I didn't really have until college, but that's the one that I go to every time. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And it's so interesting to see the evolution of a pitcher because I'm going to go back to Haley's conversation. She was talking about how there was a pitch that she didn't have in her arsenal, but she was starting to get lit up in the pro league and was like, I need to find something to beat people. So she literally within a winter and off season figured out how to throw a curve. And now it's like one of her favorite pitches to throw. And so it's so interesting to see like how pitchers, you know, it like your punch out pitch was a drop ball. If you would have continued your career, you might've had a different punch out mm-hmm. pitch at a different point in time because you knew yourself and you knew that maybe you needed to pull something out that nobody is expecting. Yeah. I mean, um, I think that's, I think that's bigger than how many pitches that you have is you, you just have to find a way to evolve and we yeah. have to teach pitchers no matter what, like no matter what age that they're at, they're in a game. You can win with what you've got that day, no matter how you're feeling, no matter how many pitches that you have, we have to instill in them the confidence or the belief that in, get it in their mind that I, I, I can win with what I've got. I'm going to find a way to win instead of, no, I need eight pitches to win. No, I have to have my drop ball on in order to win. No, let's instill in these pitchers, you can win with what you've got. Find a way, find a way to win. And I think if we could do that more often, you're going to see a different approach by pitchers not feeling like they need as many different types of pitches to win. And they're going to learn that they're way stronger than they even thought, to be honest. Yeah, I think just what we're talking about here, it just seems like the pitchers who know themselves the most in that time, in the present moment, are the ones that are going to be successful. And it seems like people get all riled up with the fact that, okay, let's say your changeup's your best pitch, but it's just, you can't find it that day. I mean, if, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, like, I love my changeup, but today it's just not working. How would you call a game then? I mean, would you throw it in there? Would you make them, you know, go through it? Or would you have them just find something different to help get some get some outs. Yeah. At first I would have them find a secondary pitch at the beginning of the game to have them establish the strike zone and kind of move past, like forget the fact that they don't have the change up that day um, and see that they can throw strikes, see that they can get outs without that pitch and then try to pop it in there every now and then to see if your pitcher can find it in the middle of the game, which is always completely an option just because you don't have it at the beginning. doesn't mean that it's just not going to be there that day and stealing a belief in a pitcher that that's also an option, right? Like, 
like just because I don't feel good in the morning doesn't mean that I'm going to feel awful in the afternoon, right? Like mm-hmm. everything changes day to day, minute by minute. Nothing ever stays exactly the same. So finding something else to win with at the beginning of the game that she can gain confidence and momentum with, and then try to see if that confidence momentum can go into that change up. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, but still being able to show it will always, always be important. And under, and she has to understand, okay, even if you don't throw it for a strike, we still have to throw it. So don't get upset with it. Still give your all through this change of pitch. But if you don't throw it for a strike, it's not a failure. It's not a loss. We're using it to, to still set up a hitter in a different way. This is so good. And I know there are so many coaches out there that are listening to this and they're thinking, oh my gosh, like this is how you call a game. You call <laughs> to her strengths. It, it all makes sense. And so with that, how important is the communication for the pitcher or even the catcher who's warming her up to tell the coach, hey, this is where we're at today. Want to make sure you know this because you're the one calling the pitches. How important is that conversation? Yeah, it's super important. And to me, that communication is a priority over, well, this pitcher is a little bit more quiet or this pitcher is a louder pitcher. You have to be able to communicate, period. Um, And it might be in your own way, no matter if you are more quiet or you are more loud, you have to be able to communicate about what is working, about how you're feeling with your coach before the game. So continuing to create everything with pitching, a lesson, a bullpen, a game, a two-sided conversation. It's what I really, really encourage as a coach to ask, to continue to ask them questions so they can find their voice, so they can find the words to articulate how they feel and what is working and have the belief in themselves that what they say is really what they mean. And and they can tell it to you in order to, to get the most out of them that day. Yeah. So good. Now, this is just a question I thought of on the fly, but I had to ask. I know a lot of pitchers that, you know, if a big hit is hit off of them or, you know, home runs hit off of them, a lot of pitchers maybe will take that into the next few batters. But what would your advice be for pitchers who just want to know how to get over it quicker and get on to the next person? It takes experience, I think, first of all, like going through situations where you fail like that, because it's just such a great teacher that if a home run's hit off of me, the entire game's not going to end and the pitching mound's not going to explode. And you know, your back's against the wall because everybody knows that there's no hiding when that happens in a game. Everybody knows that you're the pitcher who just gave up the home run. You're the pitcher who just walked the uh, walked in a run or whatever it is. And so it's finding a spot to look at in the ground, a spot to look at in the scoreboard, a teammate looking them in the eyes and being able to utilize that, that five seconds, two seconds to clear your mind and be able to go up against the next hitter as if it didn't happen. But again, it, it, it truly takes experience and fight and grit and perseverance. And that's all the great things that, that pitching teaches us, honestly. I mean, it's those moments right there that build character. It's not easy. So good. So good. So I was listening to Kat, obviously, during this Athletes Unlimited League, and she was mic'd up one game. And she was talking to herself and saying things like, trust it, or hey, find it. And and she was saying these things of herself to, it sounded like, give herself some motivation on the mound, whether things were going well or things weren't. But were there some key phrases that when you were pitching, you were like saying to yourself, hey, it's just me and the catcher? Or what were some phrases that you would say that would kind of get you to focus in on what truly matters and that's throwing strikes? Yeah, I think trust it is for sure a big one that I think a lot of pitchers use that I know that I for sure used as well. Go at her, like the little like two or three word phrase 
phrases that you can just tell yourself over and over again. You got this, like speaking almost like in a third or I guess it'd be third person. You got second person. Yeah. It's not first person. I think it's third. Like you're talking to yourself. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I guess that Amanda got this would be third person, maybe second Mm, person, but you got this. Um, And, and you just have to block out the demons. They're going to try to creep in. And um, I think that that's completely normal. But I think one of the biggest things that I've heard Ashley is I was doing a Peloton run and they were talking about how your reaction to things you can't control oftentimes, like your initial reaction. We all react to things differently, but what's your response? That's what you can control. Your reaction is going to be there and not everybody can react perfectly where it's like, oh, I gave up the home run. Oh, goody. I can't wait to go to the next batter. No, you're mad. You're upset, but that's how you react. But what's your response? Your react, you can't always control, but your response, you can always control. So teaching a pitcher to be in charge of that, a hitter, whoever is after an error on defense, all of it, like that to me really, really resonated. And it's super important to know. Mm, you have so many good gems. So you're just throwing out it's right now. Peloton. <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm it's just Peloton kidding. speaking through you right now. <laughs> no, that's I'm so just great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So basically anybody that's listening, I'm sure they've gotten so much value from this conversation. And this is just a tiny little bit of Amanda Scarborough and all of the things that you're coaching and over quarantine and over COVID, I know you spent a lot of time and effort developing some amazing courses that pitchers can take from foundation maximizer, accuracy and velocity. So if you could just do a quick spiel on what it is that you offer to pitchers right now, how can they get involved with you and see more of you? So whenever we were talking about importance of building a foundation, I knew that whenever I came up with an online course, like that's where I needed to start. I couldn't start at, and this is just how my mind operates. Like I couldn't start on a course for a rise ball or a change up because I know in order to be great at those things, your foundation comes first. So whenever I was had this all this time because of quarantine, I'm like, okay, I'm going to come up with something for pitchers to get through to them while they're in quarantine too. I knew I needed to start at foundation. And then I ended up actually making a success cycle, which has four parts. So it's foundations first, then accuracy, and then velocity, and then you become an unbreakable pitcher. And it's a circle. Mm. It's a cycle. And you go through each of those parts uh, and they all build on each other. So with my cycle, foundation comes first, then you have to make sure you're honing in your accuracy. And then when you're accurate, then you can push for the velocity. And when all of those three things work together, like you are going, being aggressive in a game, you're giving your your own amount of velocity, not comparing yourself to anybody else and you're accurate and your solid foundation, you become an unbreakable pitcher. And it's at that time that you become an unbreakable pitcher in the game, not just at practice, that we can learn a new pitch. And we can go through that same cycle when you learn a changeup. You learn your changeup mm-hmm. foundation, you learn your changeup accuracy, and there's not so much velocity for a changeup, but <laughs> you that could be a movement, like down movement instead of velocity and become an unbreakable pitcher with your fastball and changeup in, in a game. So um, I make courses for all three of those, foundation first, then an accuracy maximizer course, and then a velocity maximizer course, and they all build on each other. And, and that's why, because all three of those things is what it takes to uh, become great, become the unbreakable pitcher that you can be. That's awesome. So what's been the feedback so far? 
for the um, courses. So great. And I, I really, really, really good, um, which blows me away because I always go into things not assuming that it's going to be the best or that it's like going to be mm-hmm. just, I, I mean, I, I had the confidence in myself that I can make right. it great, but I just don't ever go into anything assuming that that's how people are going to feel about it. More yeah. of like a, I'm going to make this kind of trial and error. People are going to give me feedback and then I'm going to make it better. Uh, like we were talking about before, but um, people have, have loved it and really, really learned. And, and what I think too is super special about these courses, Ashley, is that it, it helps create a common language with parents and pitchers mm. because as a pitcher, you're nothing without a support system of your parent, guardian, somebody in your life who is going to be there to support you. And pitching's really hard. And so it's always nice to have that support that not only is like, hey, good job, but like knows what you should be doing and can help you figure out something on your own. So creating that common language was something that I didn't expect. You know, one of those things I just kind of found out after that so many people were talking about, so many parents were talking about the common language that it creates between a pitcher and her parents as the parents were going through the course, uh, all the courses with the pitcher, just to be able to, to be in this together. That's really what it comes down to. And that's what one thing I love about you is you're so present on your social media platforms, especially Facebook. So those people that are going through your courses right now, you're probably seeing they're using that language like inside of it. They're talking about, you know, I don't know the language. I haven't taken it, but they're probably <laughs> like your stride, your launch angle, things like that. You know, it's probably one of the coolest things to be able to see it come into fruition and like see parents and athletes and even coaches just say, Hey, these are things that we're seeing growing. And, um, you know, we want more. How do we find more? So, well, my goal, is, that was my goal though, Ash, just to simplify yeah. it, make it easier to understand for a pitcher and for her parents. Cause pitching can seem really scary and mm-hmm. it is hard and it's a lot. So I wanted to create something that could make pitching, make something that's ridiculously hard, make it feel easier and feel mm-hmm. like you are growing and still finding ways to be successful, even while you're learning it and maybe not having the results on the field that you're wanting. You're going to get better. You're going to learn you're going to become, you're going to find ways to grow. And that that's my job through the courses to, to show you ways to do that. Yeah. And these courses are umbrellaed under Pitching Angel, correct? That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. you describe to the audience what Pitching Angel is? Yeah. So people know me as Amanda Scarborough and that's what my page was. And like, that's just me personally, but I wanted a way just to talk directly to pitchers themselves. That was I don't know, not like an alter ego because that that's not that's not at all what it is, but like Pitching Angel is more of like an idea, I think of like a community. And yes, I like I run it, but I wanted to create it as a way to know that pitchers weren't alone in their journey. So whether it's through one of my videos or a post or through the support of another pitcher who comments on their post or gives them help and motivation, just the idea that you're never alone whenever you're in the circle, ever. Because it can feel like the loneliest place when you're mm-hmm. in the middle of a game and you're not doing well. It can feel super lonely. And so when you think of the idea of pitching angel, that somebody else could be a pitching angel. You're a, a girl who's on your team who you work with in the bullpen. She's your pitching angel. Your mom is your pitching angel. I could be your pitching Like there are different, but it's, so it's the idea idea that you're never alone and to create support and guidance and help all along the way. I love that. And I love your page. It's, it's so inspirational. Like whenever you throw it out there, you just like throw this inspiration and I'm like, man, 
I am like fired up. I am ready to go. <laughs> like it's, it really is. It's amazing to see, you know, on my end, how much you're, you're growing the game and helping the game. So do you have a website that people can go to check this out? Yeah. Pitching-angel.com because of course, just pitching without the dash angel.com was taken. Of course. So <laughs> pitching-angel.com. And I also have a coach course that's coming up in the middle of October mm. that I'm excited about where I help coaches coach pitchers and kind of give more of the why and philosophy behind my coaching and give them more insight as to what to look for, how to help them and how to get them to, to grow their confidence. Man, that's funny. I was just about to ask, you know, what's coming up for you. Yeah. So that's so awesome that you're going to be, you know, you have all these courses for athletes and now it's time to get into the ears of coaches and teach them how to teach them the things that you're teaching. So that's really, really awesome. And you're doing so much for the game. It makes me so, so excited. Are you. Thank you for having <laughs> me, by the way. It's awesome. Yeah, this has been so much fun. So the last thing we're going to do is I'm going to ask yeah. you just five quick questions about you. And I want you not to think about it. Just say whatever comes to mind okay. when I ask you these. They're really not that hard, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I always make it sound like it's bigger than it is. It's really, it's one of those where, you know, from my perspective, I'm just eager to hear, you know, what it is that, you know, makes you tick or what, what do you love about the game that makes you good at it? So these are my five to thrive. Um, but before we do them, I just want to thank you again for coming on. This has been such a fun conversation. I, I'm already eager to have you back on because there's just so much knowledge you have for pitchers. Yeah. And there's I have I have things that I really want to know about pitching more Bring too. Bring me back so, on. I'll, I'll totally I'm, come back on. I'm all in and I can't wait. So whoever's listening to this, that's like, oh my gosh, I have a pitching question. I want you to go and I'm totally doing this off the cuff. Go to the ABT community on Facebook, on my Facebook page and tell me what your favorite part was about this or what you wish you could ask Amanda. And then I'll make sure on the next episode, we talk about those things because- yeah. Amanda and I both know, like, we're just trying to answer the questions that you guys have and solve the problems that you guys have. So that's why we love what we do. And make sure you go do that so we can kind of just continue the conversation after after this episode's out. Yeah, so I'm excited for now. Absolutely. Okay, so let's start the five to thrive questions. Very first question that I have is, what's your favorite thing about pitching? Ooh, uh, my favorite thing about pitching is the pressure. And to add on to that, the feeling, the pressure and seeing myself come through, like just proving to myself that I could do something really hard. Your, sim your answer is so similar to Morgan Stewart's. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It seems to be a common theme that like pressure and, you know, knowing the challenges of the game are just some of the things that, you know, instill confidence in you in the end. It's like when you do something hard, that's the easiest way to gain confidence. Yeah, I think a lot of like younger players say like being with my friends and like being with the team. And like, I do love that. I do love being with a team. But at the end of the day, I also, I love seeing myself come through with something. Like just proving to myself that I could do it when I didn't think maybe that I could. And you see yourself come through. Like, it's just awesome. So good. So good. All right. Second question. What was the greatest lesson that your parents taught you growing up? It's a great one that I could think for myself. Like I, I, my parents never made me do anything. They let, they always gave me a choice, always gave me a voice uh, down to like wanting to, to quit pitching, you know, whenever I was in middle school, maybe even quitting a couple of times, another time in high school, but 
it was all like my decision, like never making me do anything. So when I say that, I mean, thinking for myself, giving me choices, being able to say no to things that if I didn't want to do it, I, I felt like I could say no and how that translates to bigger things in life. But I, I definitely think like being able to have a voice and, and have a choice was huge. Mm, I love that. I love that so much. All right. What is something that you would tell 10 year old Amanda? Ooh, that's so, ooh, that was a hard one. Um, <laughs> I would tell her that it's going to be okay. Like I was just somebody that like worried all the time. And so I would tell her to like take a little bit of a break and then react versus reacting right away and thinking that it's the end of the world or the worst thing ever, or everything's simple, or even the opposite, the best thing ever. Like just take a step back and really be able to like take in things. And even though that's kind of a hard concept for a 10 year old, but if I could tell maybe 12 year old Amanda that instead of or 13 year old Amanda <laughs> that, like just take a step back and breathe and, yeah. and then react. That's actually a great lesson for not just a 10 year old, but also for parents too. Yeah. I, I feel I, like, you know, <laughs> that car ride home conversation can always be your, your, you have high emotions. It's probably the worst time to start talking about something. So I just think that time heals everything, you know, and yeah. it's so hard not to have that reaction, but truly just time heals. Like it, it gets better. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Question number four, who was your greatest role model growing up? I really looked to Lisa Fernandez. She was a, a you know a pitcher hitter, and um, I saw her, of course, in the Olympics and and getting to just see her grit and determination. I love that about her. Mm, so good. I know when I was growing up, my biggest role models were always like athletes in the women's college world series or Olympians. Cause that was all that was on TV at the time. So isn't it crazy and cool how there's so much more softball on TV? Yeah. It's so good for the sport. God, that could uh, be its own podcast in itself. I know. It's a growth of the sport, but um, yeah, it's, it's so incredible. It's so great. Yeah. You know, as soon as you thought that I thought the same exact thing, I'm like, we need to just talk about the future of softball on a future so, podcast. And why it's grown and how, yeah. and just so many things. Mm. I think people take it for granted, but I mean, even whenever I was a freshmen, like we only had one or two games that were on TV or online. And you think of now, like that mm. wasn't that long ago in the whole scheme of things. Like 10, 15 years, but it's just grown incredibly. Yeah. And now NCAA softball, they're just putting on games from like five years ago. Yeah. You know, I, I was like living off of those. I'm like, finally, I get to learn from a game. Even if it's not live, you can learn so <laughs> much from it. So, so much. Every game yeah. is different. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to ask you this question, but what was your take on Athletes Unlimited and the whole, you know, oh, five weeks? It's, I love that it seemed like everybody enjoyed it. Uh, like yeah. the, 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 the players. And so mm -hmm. when the players are enjoying it and having fun and gelling and loving the game, I think it's inspiring for anybody watching. And so, I mean, I'm, I was all for it. I love the momentum that they created, but most of all, I just love that they enjoyed playing the game. And that's really what it seemed like. And that was probably my biggest takeaway from all their social media and, and just watching mm -hmm. them play. Like they were playing with so much joy. It was fun to watch. Yeah. I, it, it was so contagious. Mm -hmm. I could not, I did not want to miss a single game because I was like, I might miss like the next biggest home run ever hit in our lives. And I'm like, Oh, who was it? Who hit that? It was Jordan. Jordan uh, um, yeah. From Florida. I can't think of yeah. last name right now. She hit a, like the biggest Roberts. furthest home run I've ever seen. Yeah. Jordan Roberts. 
And I was like, I'm so glad I watched this live. It just wouldn't mm -hmm. have been the same if it wasn't live. So just goes yeah. to show though, like when you're playing with that much confidence and looseness and fun, your results come when you're playing tight and scared and nervous and worried, like you're not going to get as nearly good results. There were like, there were so many great results. Like maybe the pitchers mm -hmm. got hit a little bit too much, but so I think it really showed offensively because hitting was just like crazy and scoring runs. Totally. Totally. Well, before I ask you this last question, I want to just say thank you one more time because you have been such an amazing role model for athletes. Just your presence for others, the fact that you literally are a living pitching angel right now, <laughs> it's so evident and so clear that you're in it for the success of this game. And it is clear and evident that you're doing such tremendous work here. So again, I've been honored to have you on the podcast. <laughs> thank you. That means so much to me. It really does. I never take it for granted any day either. So thank you very much. You're awesome. All right. Last question. How do you want to be remembered in this game? Mm. Um, as a player, as a coach? Hmm. Both. As a player, as somebody who just left it all on the field that I played confidently, but not with like, uh, what's the other word? You're not confident, but like just cocky, like that I wasn't like that, that I played right. with an intensity and a fire that people remember more than maybe what I said after the game or more than my stats. Like they would just be inspired, like want to show up to watch me play. And then as a coach, somebody who's never going to stop learning uh, and somebody who's just super giving, like present is just a great word. I love that. Um, and as a coach too, just trying to maximize the biggest potential in, in every player, in every coach and every pitching family and anybody that I come up against and or come up um, to talk to. Yeah. And, and just supporting everybody, Ash, like it's not, this isn't a, Oh, I, I want to be a better coach than her or her. Like I just want everybody to support everybody. And because there's room for it. Mm, that's such a good answer. I loved it. <laughs> I hope they weren't too tough qu questions. No, I know you were a little, great. a little nervous at the beginning. But I always do this... bad of like, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite movie? <laughs> like, I can't ever think of those things. Like I have right. some favorites, but like, give me multiple choice. I'll be able to pick one that I like more than others. <laughs> <laughs> next time, next time yeah. we'll do some multiple choice. <laughs> no, for that, for that type of stuff. <laughs> I know. Awesome. Well, this has been so much fun. Uh, I don't think we actually said, where is your favorite platform to hang out on and um, on Instagram, Twitter, wherever you're at? Yeah. So on Facebook, you can just search my name, Amanda Scarborough, and my page will come up. That's where I post a, like a heavy amount of information. And then on Instagram, at Pitching Angel, and then also at Amanda Scarborough. Yeah. I'll make sure to put all that stuff in the show notes as well for people to go and click. And, but and YouTube, I'll find what my YouTube handle is. <laughs> I don't know. I know that it exists. I know that I upload videos to it, but I don't <laughs> really know that there's You're a like, handle. You're like, what's it called? Yeah. I mean, just type in your name anywhere. You'll find it. Yeah. I love it. Well, this has been an honor and a blessing to have you on. I'm so glad. And I know so many people have got value out of this conversation. So thanks so much for being on, Amanda. Thank you. <laughs> Man, don't you just love Amanda Scarborough? I knew she was the perfect person to bring on the podcast because not only is she teaching athletes, parents, and coaches every day of her life inside of her courses and in person how to become better foundationally, better confidence, and to just be the athlete you've dreamt of being as a pitcher, I, I knew she'd be the perfect one to talk about this. So if you guys thought like so highly of this conversation and you want your pitching try or your softball tribe to really hone in on some of the skills Amanda was teaching today, 
please go to the ABT community on Facebook or leave a review on the podcast with the parts that really resonated with you. And every like, share, comment inside of any of those platforms is seriously going to help this podcast grow, especially from the sports perspective inside of podcasting. So thank you so much for listening today. I cannot wait for you guys to see who I have on the pod coming up next week. And you know, I'll see you same time, same place next Wednesday. See you guys later. So there you have it. Another episode of When the Cleats Come Off is completed. And if you loved it, I would love if you shared this with your softball community. The only way this game grows is if we have people like you that are eager to learn more and are eager to also share that new knowledge with other people. So if this episode really brought somebody that you know into fruition in your brain and you know that they can learn from this conversation, I would love it if you shared it with them because the more people that can learn from this type of conversation, I think the better the game of softball gets. And who knows, maybe this will be shared with other people in other sports because I truly believe some of these conversations, they don't just hit the game of softball, they hit all sports. And if there are people that come to your brain, I would love more than anything if you shared it. If you do share it, make sure you tag me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever social platform you hang out on. I would love to see that you're sharing this and I would love to see some of your favorite parts. If you do share it, make sure to tag me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Guys, I'm even on TikTok, Ashley V Training, and at Smashly underscore four is where you can find me. And make sure you tell me which part was your favorite. I want to know what resonated with you so that I can create more content like that for you to share with your softball community. I can't wait to share another episode with you. Same time, same place next week. See you later.